Hello and welcome to Agile Questions Answers AQA4. Now I'm four episodes in and already I'm going to depart from the strict format of answering Agile questions because I think that this is a really interesting one and it's kind of in my area anyway so I thought I'd give it a go. So this week's question and I'm afraid I don't know who it's from is why would a client try to assemble its own team rather than hire the services of an IT company, even if this IT company develops the software that the client wants to implement? So, um, really interesting question, and I can think of a couple of really key reasons why uh, a company might want to do this. The first one is strategic. So the software that you're using actually has strategic value to the company. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that the fact that you use a particular piece of IT rather than another one is giving you a competitive advantage over people who are in the same area as you. So um, I've had a couple of examples of that uh, over the time that I've worked in various different companies. Once I worked for a company called Pinder, they made the adverts and the books for Yellow Pages directories. Now, this was back when it was a big thing. They were a FTSE 100 company at the time, uh, Yell, that is. And their software was a bespoke workflow for producing the adverts. And they had some bespoke software which they had written themselves, which enabled them to assemble the adverts into books really really quickly it was almost an automated operation uh, this gave them a competitive advantage over other providers of similar services uh, so much so that when Yale went on a buying spree and they bought up lots of um, yellow pages directories companies in the states um, Pinder were asked to take over the ad making and bookmaking operations uh, of those American companies. Another example is I worked for a large betting company and um, part of the software that they used before I joined it was provided by a software supplier who also provided uh, the same software to their uh, competitors and they made a strategic decision to uh, develop their own software and their own hardware as it happens and the reason that they chose to do that was they were then able to focus on bringing the innovations that they thought were the most important ones rather than the ones that were kind of a consensus across the industry that these were the important things that um, you know everyone wanted. So that what it meant is that when you went to their site and when you went into their shops, you actually got offered different products to the products that every other um, betting company uh, was able to provide. So that was a really important source of competitive advantage. Uh, the second reason that you might choose to develop your own software is um, if you already have a lot of existing software which you want to connect together 
and the means of connecting it together is not just kind of uh, available out of the box but you actually have to have custom uh, development to do that so this is a kind of software integration problem uh, a lot of large companies that have been around for a while they'll have acquired different bits so they might have uh, warehouse and stock control software they might have manufacturing control software and then at some point later they'll have a website and then later than that they'll add the ability for people to order stuff off the website and replacing all of that with a totally integrated system may not be feasible and certainly from my experience of such systems isn't as visible and much better to actually write the software that glues these systems together yourself. Uh, so that is another key reason uh, that you might want to uh, develop uh, custom software. So we've established the need for people to develop custom software. So why would you want to do it in-house? Well, really, the key thing is that you need to understand the key parts of your business and you need to keep the expertise to manage the key parts of your business in-house. So you could do this in a really minimalist way. The very minimum number of people you need is somebody who understands the business and the technology and how they fit together and can have a vision for how those things are going to develop over time. So within Agile, that would be a product owner and then somebody who's a bit more on the technical side who can understand how, uh, how the technologies work, what they're made of, how to connect them together, and then which bits you're going to change and swap out over time. So that would be uh, an enterprise architect uh, typically. Now, if you had those two people, uh, then you know theoretically, you could outsource the actual development of the software to a company. Uh, and those people, as long as they had the really good vision and they had the right skills to manage the technical delivery, make sure that the company was delivering what they wanted to reasonable timescales and all that kind of thing, then, you know, that would be fine. The problem with just relying on such a small core of people with that expertise is it makes the company a bit vulnerable. You know, people move on for all sorts of reasons. And, um, you know, if you've only got a couple of people within the company that really understand what is a core part of your business, the IT infrastructure and the software and so on, then you're really, really vulnerable if one or both of those people leave. So it kind of makes sense in that to kind of spread the expertise and this is where bringing in a software development team which is at least um, gets to know uh, a part of your business and a part of the software that um, makes up your business is so important because what you'll have is you'll have a core of developers you might have some team leaders you'll have project managers and so on and so if may, maybe you have you know 30 to 50 people that's what we had uh, when I was at Pinder. And of course, there'll be people who are capable of stepping up if one of the people at the top uh, leaves. So um, it makes bringing in your own development expertise makes it more resilient. 
Also, if you've got relationship with lots of suppliers, that's quite difficult to do if you've only got a couple of people. Uh, if you've got a team that's a reasonable size, they can manage the different relationships with suppliers. They will know when your suppliers are being truthful and when they're trying to pull over the wool over your eyes, which amazingly enough does happen. I think the other thing to be aware of in this area is, in my opinion, people develop far too much software. I shouldn't really complain about it because I've made a very good living out of uh, managing the software development process. But um, people so often develop software that they could buy off the shelf if they were prepared to modify their own practices slightly. So um, if you take a lot of industries that I've worked at, when you take a step back and look at what their software is doing, it comes down to document management and workflow. So I worked at Pinder, their documents were adverts and books, and they had a workflow for producing and checking those. Moved to the British Library, and they had a digital library system which had a workflow for processing the digital items as they came in and a management system for storing that. Um, the jobs I'm doing at the moment for the public sector, uh, again, it's mostly workflow and document management. Uh, and it kind of makes me sad that they so often will develop something from scratch when most of the bits are available off the shelf. And ironically enough, and I have uh, written about this before, one of the best ways of managing a workflow, and it's, it's really flexible, it's got all of the kind of access management tools that you need, uh, is the very tool that is used to manage software development. And that tool is called Jira. And I have written a post about how to use Jira as an enterprise workflow management product in the past. Now, I'm sure that there are a number of people out there who are kind of shouting at the podcast at the moment because they are using a terrible, terrible workflow system, uh, which is based on some off the shelf uh, package like, for example, SharePoint. And if you are, then uh, you have my every sympathy. So the problem is that all too often what happens that when these systems are bought and they're put in, the configuration of them is done with a focus on control rather than a focus on facilitating the smooth flow of information. So people will put in these access management rules that means that you can't do anything without getting permission from somebody else. People will put in these very restrictive workflows which are not designed to be flexible enough to cope with all of the different things that people need to do. And so these workflows end up creating more work for people. And so that gives them a bad name. I think the other thing that people miss out on is the best packages in the world will need some custom work uh, to make them do exactly what you want to do. So you can do 90% of them off the shelf. If you're prepared to shift your working practices a bit, you might be able to get that to 95. But to get to 100, and remember, 100% is what's needed to get that competitive advantage over 
the other people in your marketplace, you need to do some customization. And whether that's integration with the other software that you use or it's putting custom modules in so that it makes the whole flow easier for your workers so that they get work done faster, they can produce stuff more quickly for your customers at lower cost. So I hope you find that interesting. I'd really love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, am I talking rubbish? Am I uh, betraying the industry? And anyway, I'd like to wish you a very happy Christmas and uh, a safe Christmas. Look after yourselves, look after your families, look after your friends, and uh, let's hope for a better 2021.